Hey friends, have you been blessed or encouraged or challenged by Theology in the Raw? If so, would you consider joining Theology in the Raw's Patreon community? For as little as five bucks a month, you can gain access to a diverse group of Jesus followers who are committed to thinking deeply, loving widely, and having curious conversations with thoughtful people. We have several membership tiers where we where you can receive premium content. For instance, silver level supporters get to ask and vote on the questions for our monthly Patreon only podcast. They also get to see like written drafts of various projects and books I'm working on. And there's other perks for that tier. Gold level supporters get all of this and access to monthly Zoom chats where we basically blow the doors open on any topic they want to discuss. My patrons play a vital role in nurturing the mission of Theology Nara. And for me, just personally, interacting with my Patreon supporters has become one of the hidden blessings in this podcast ministry. So you can check out all of the info at patreon.com forward slash Theology Nara. That's patreon.com forward slash Theology Nara. All right, friends, you ready for this one? Uh, my guest today is Ryan, who is a Canadian police officer trained in advanced alcohol and drug impairment recognition, which includes being a certified drug recognition expert. He's passionate about following God and working about how to apply God's wisdom and rules for life to the poverty, addiction, justice issues that he encounters every single day as a police officer. This episode arose because Ryan, who's an avid podcast listener, reached out to me after my conversation with Todd Miles about Christians and marijuana use. And while he agreed with uh, a lot of what uh, Todd had to say, he also had some disagreements that do come from his in very informed background. So I was like, hey, let's um, let's have a conversation. And, and, you know, if you wouldn't mind, let's, I don't know, let's record that conversation and, you know, maybe post it on the podcast. So that's where we are today. So I am excited for you to get to know uh, Ryan's uh, somewhat different take on Christians and marijuana use. Thanks so much, Ryan, for coming on the podcast to talk about this controversial topic. Yeah, thanks for having me. And so you, I mean, I, you know, I list your credentials and stuff in 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 the uh, show notes so people can can check that out. But maybe just explain verbally, you know, what what is it that you do and and how it relates to this this conversation. Yeah, for sure. So I'm a police officer here in Canada. Um, I've taken a lot of specialized training as far as as far as alcohol and drug impairment detection. So primarily, that has is focused on driving. Um, impairment. So I I can operate what people would think is a breathalyzer. So you're drunk, you go back to the, the station, you, you give a breath sample, and it kind of says if you're drunk. For for a long time, that was kind of the, the status quo. And actually, I should say, I'm, I'm a police officer in Canada. So a lot of stuff that I may say, I know you have probably mostly US listeners. So it's probably going to be some discrepancies between um, in some of the details that I portray, because we have different we have a different law here, but as far as the conversation context is concerned, in, in impairment, it's it's going to be applicable across the road. Um, and when I say impairment, in my mind, that is you are uh, you're drunk, you're high, and I can demonstrably show that. So how I can do that is uh, with with alcohol specifically. Um, basically, we've decided. Have you heard of over eighty? The over eighty rule. Uh, no, for over no. 80 or you're drunk. Uh, okay, so again, maybe how fast they drive, thing. but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So uh, and I know this is a standard in a lot of states, but here in Canada, if you have over 80 milligrams of uh, alcohol in 100 milliliters of blood, you are drunk. Uh, and and what they say is there's lots of studies supporting that um, at that level, everybody is drunk. 
Uh, it doesn't mean that a lot of people are not drunk below that. It means that's the criminal standard of no, there's, there's no possible way that you are not drunk at that level. Okay. Um, the problem in the, in the seventies that they started running into is they started getting people coming in that the officers could see you are, you're very impaired. You should not be driving a car. But when we put you on a breathalyzer, um, you're only blowing 10 or 15. And they go, you're, you can, you can barely stand. You can't form words together and you crash the car. Uh, what's going on? And they really quickly realized, well, it's, it's drugs. People are maybe drinking a little bit of alcohol, but they're taking their, uh, their, their pot, their, their cocaine, whatever it is alongside that. So they needed to adjust and, um, figure out how do we actually deal with this? Cause this is a, this is a really serious situation. People are dying every day because of it. So what do we do? So they formed the drug recognition expert program which is uh, officers go through, take significant training in, in how different drug classes affect the body, what happens, how they interact with each other. Um, and, then, and then there's a standardized set of uh, tests that you put people through um, with their cooperation, obviously. And, um, and we can determine what drug class those people are impaired by and whether or not they're impaired. So the important part of this conversation for me is is when I heard Todd, which he did a really good intro, I really appreciate the scientific work he put into it. And where I started differing was, um, was that there is a difference between drug use and being actually impaired by that drug, having your decisions um, significantly affected by that. And this is where I start to bring those two conversations in together, is that, uh, you know, if you have a glass of wine, for supper or a beer or something like that. You, there's nobody that's going to be drunk from that. You might get a little bit of a buzz if it's a really hot day or something like that and you haven't had much, but you're, uh, in my mind, you're not impaired. And, and it, biblically, you're not drunk, you know, from the wisdom perspective that Todd really uh, articulately talked about, you're able to make decisions. You, you have your moral judgments intact, right? But then what happens when you have two beers or three beers or, or what happens when you uh, are on antidepressants and you have one or two beers. Uh, what happens when you do take a quick smoke from a joint and, you know, you're, you're at a campfire and, and everybody's got a joint and pass it around. Well, it, are you actually impaired at that point? Are you drunk per se? Is your decision-making ability um, inhibited by that drug? And so that's one of the things I differ on is that um, I would, I would say that no, just using cannabis or using marijuana inherently does not mean that you are impaired and that your decision-making ability is. Okay. So you would, um, okay. So I, I, this is so funny. I, I wasn't sure where you're going to go with, I don't know if you're going to be like totally pro smoking pot for Christians or, or maybe more against it. So I didn't know what side of Todd's kind of perspective you'd land on. So to, I guess to summarize, and then I want to hear your thoughts. So for those who maybe didn't listen to the episode, I would encourage them to maybe go back and listen to it. But Todd made, you know, made the distinction, which I think a lot of people make between recreational use of marijuana and um, medicinal use. And he was, you know, for the most part, pro-medicinal, um, more anti-recreational. And the main reason is because unlike alcohol, you know, where you can have a glass of wine and you're not drunk, um, if you do get high, you're kind of either high or you're not. It's kind of like, you don't have that kind of in-between stage where you can you can responsibly, you know, smoke a few joints or whatever. You're totally fine, you know. Um, you just kind of go from zero to like not high to high. 
if I hope I'm summarizing his, his perspective correctly. Not even, you know, I, I said, aren't there some exceptions to that? Like, you know, you'll hear certain popular podcasters, you know, get getting high while podcasting or whatever. And it's like, you didn't even know it. Like you would sometimes you're like, wow, they, they seem really coherent. So, and now I said, aren't there different kind of body, you know, certain people that can actually smoke a joint and not get impaired by, you know, being high in the classic sense of the term. So, so anyway, that, that was kind of the summary of what we talked about. So can you, in response, maybe to how I'm summarizing it, unpack your your position or or maybe a, a, a where you might disagree with with him on that yeah for sure so where where i would disagree from kind of a, a top level on what todd said was um that you can use cannabis recreationally and it does not impair your judgment okay um and and why i say that is is in the drug recognition process um yes we have to determine what kind of drug the person is actually impaired by in order to go to court and say yeah this person shouldn't be driving a car here they they need to have consequences for that they need to know better um but the other part of it is that i actually have to prove that they're actually impaired um and that's where it comes back to you know is this the equivalent of two beers that they had and okay yeah they've got it on board but no they're they're not actually impaired by it i can see a little bit of physiological signs that yes they have some they have some cannabis on board but no they're they're doing everything just fine i, I think they actually are able to drive a vehicle they are able to make good judgment calls mm -hmm. they're not they're not again higher or drunk per se and to specify, I don't use cannabis recreationally. Um, I, I use That's what people I use are thinking. CBD. Like, oh, this guy yeah, is some pothead Canadian no, no. police officer. <laughs> he probably grows his exactly. own out there. Who knows yeah. what they're doing up no, there I, I should clarify. I use, I use CBD for uh, some medical stuff, and I found, like, incredible effects. But I, I specifically find the low THC because I just have personally no interest. Um, but I also have no moral issue with people using recreational cannabis. And it's because it, it's because you're saying people can't have THC in their system and not be impaired, so it wouldn't be in the cat the biblical category of being, you know, drunk or or losing your control of your moral sensibilities. You would say there's there's a, there's a certain level of THC in your system that wouldn't necessarily be in that category. Yes, and that's exactly it. Um, for me, because I, I kind of have to look at it. If, if I know, which I know because of my expertise, that having THC and using it in your system doesn't inherently impair your decision-making, what is the problem with that? Why would that be wrong and, um, and using alcohol be fine? Because in my mind, especially in my drug recognition program, there are similar things. They're both mind-altering substances. And if you take that to the nth degree, which I think actually Todd talked about a little bit, caffeine is mind-altering substances, all sorts of mind-altering substances. So uh, where I really firmly agree with him is that this is a wisdom issue. This is not a use or do not use. This is this is firmly in the wisdom category. And, and we can expand. Todd did a really good job of talking about that. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that understanding that using cannabis doesn't necessarily impair you is a really important part of the conversation. Um, what does it do? Like if you take a certain level of THC that isn't leading to full like impairment, what, what are the effects? Is it just calming? Is it, you know, more like, um, yeah, like maybe I, again, maybe drinking a glass of wine at night where you kind of feel a little more relaxed or whatever. Is it, is it similar to that or? Yeah. And, and again, coming from someone that's speaking <laughs> third party, cause I've never actually done it myself. This is all just kind of physiological observations. Um, yeah, it, it generally chills people out. Um, 
pot's actually a super weird category of drug compared to a lot of other ones because it's got it's got some uh calming effects and yet it's also got some stimulating effects so it's like this really wild card you know you, you talk about cocaine or meth or something methamphetamine or something like that and it just amps you right up like it just it just takes you through the roof you're jittery you're doing all sorts of stuff you know as compared to alcohol or um fentanyl or something like that it really drops you way down there uh like opioids are kind of a sort of a depressant uh alcohol is definitely a depressant it chills you out pots does a little bit of both oh. and so yes it for most people it chills you right out um but it also it also can heighten your awareness even while it dampens your decision making mm-hmm. abilities kind of getting into the impairment levels so what most people feel is what well, describe they feel is yeah they're just chill but they don't get that like three beer buzz crash where they're like oh man i i need to really like go to bed now after i had a good evening with some buddies mm-hmm. where they can just sit and they can sit for hours and and have good conversations and just hang out and be relaxed and um just kind of ride that does that does that kind of answer your question that, that does yeah i mean i got lots of surrounding questions i mean does it depend on i would assume the dosage the kind of marijuana somebody is smoking maybe the what about different body types or is it kind of you know, like alcohol like you get a guy who you know, 250 pounds, who's in really good shape, his metabolism's through the roof. I mean, he, he can probably drink a, a beer an hour for 12 hours and never feel, you know, like that's that's not where you take somebody else who, you know, might have a, a, the opposite effect. So do you have similarities with marijuana where, where different body types, different, well, I guess there's two questions, body types, persons versus also the type of uh, marijuana that somebody might be ingesting? Or inhaling? Yeah, those are really good questions. It's kind of yes to all of them where, uh, yeah, different strains of marijuana have different effects. Um, the studies are really early in this just because it's been legalized in Canada a little bit longer than the States, but there hasn't been a huge amount of studies. So most of it's anecdotal, um, which to me is still pretty good evidence, even mm-hmm. if it, you can't be relied on totally. But yeah, the different strains do different things. Some of you, some of them call me more, some of them amp you up more. Um, and, and the body type is it's way more complicated than alcohol. It's not necessarily just a metabolism issue because mm-hmm. uh, because cannabis attaches neurologically instead of just working chemically. Oh, gosh. Sorry, I'm trying to I'm trying to simplify stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. Um, be, because it does attach to your cannabinoid receptors and it's a neurological process more than alcohol, it really kind of depends on how your brain is built and and now that's getting into kind of science that we just don't have we know that it affects different people completely differently and you know there's lots of speculation on why that is but it's not like i can say hey preston you've got this certain body type you act in a certain way and i think that pot's gonna affect you this way we just can't say that it's hard to Um, predict yeah it's impossible to predict um it just it, it completely differs uh by person completely so i mean back in my pre-christian days you know i I did get high a few times and to me for me personally it was a zero to 60 it it was um and i remember (laughs) how much of this as a share i yeah i remember (laughs) driving and i should not have been driving i mean i was like whoo like it, it was like i was like i feel like i was like yeah it was almost not quite hallucinating but close to it like i was like 
on the freeway and I, I felt like I was in the back alley and then I was in the back alley and then I'm like, wait, I'm on the freeway. No, it, it's just, and then I remember being like, had this hyper panic attack, scared to death that like, all of a sudden I almost forgot how to drive. And then, and then I remember I was, I think I was picking a buddy up from the train station or something. I remember sitting in the back alley in my car, staring at the alley. I think it might've been like two and a half hours, just literally, literally staring there. Like kind of like in the movies, you know, where you see people tripping. I was, I was like, also I kind of w- woke up and like, I'm literally staring at this trash can for two hours. And I was fascinated at, you know, just like, and, and it's almost like the alley kept changing almost scenes, but it wasn't anyway. I was like, oh my gosh, this, and I don't even know, I don't, I don't even remember how much I was, I just, I never, I never remember in the few times, I might be smoke pot maybe six times or something. Um, I never remember that kind of like in-between state. For me, it was, but maybe, maybe I smoked too, I don't know, like, or maybe back then it was just way more powerful, whatever, you know, um, or, or is that, could that be a common experience from people where so for some people it is a either high or not high. And the second you start smoking a joint, then you're going to go to being impaired really quickly. Is that true that some people may act like that on certain certain people or is it not really, is that more rare than it is common? No, I would, I would say that's, those are really good observations. And I think that's a good comment that, yeah, some people it's absolutely going to blow them out of the water immediately. Um, But there's, again, there's a lot of complexity that leads into that. So, for example, um, do you remember how you took it? Like, did you smoke a joint? Just smoking a joint, yeah, yeah. Or yeah, maybe just smoking a, bomb, a joint. I can't remember. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. I, I never have done like an edible or something. Okay, yeah. So then, uh, in that perspective, if you smoke a really high THC joint, which, by the way, there, like, pot is way more potent now than it used to be. Um, oh, it is. Twenty years ago, yeah, they just keep uh, upping oh, the God. strains and the okay. THC. Um, but there's also variability. So. Um, when you smoke a joint, it it goes into your lungs, which means it's absorbed immediately into your system. So you get the hit like this. Okay. Um, when you drink alcohol, uh, like like if you have let's say a beer after you've mowed the lawn, you're hot. You, you know, haven't had a drink of water in a while. You're getting ready for supper, and you you drink a beer. Um, that that hits you, and you get that buzz right away, right? Um, if you drink a beer after dinner when you've had food and everything like that it takes a long time for that alcohol to be absorbed into your system so you get a a much longer slower buzz so it's going to be the same thing with how you ingest cannabis um are you taking an edible is it a low thc you know what is it is it two percent or something like that and and you ingest it well you're probably actually not going to feel any effects for like half an hour and and then it's going to like slowly come in and you're going to ride that just like that beer and then it's slowly going to come down if you you know if you're packing a pipe with with high thc or even mid-level thc cannabis um and you take a hit of that it's going to be a lot of THC immediately hitting your bloodstream. And so you're immediately way up here and then slowly coming down instead of a slow uh, kind of uh, going. Does, does that make sense? It does. And it, so in, in having food, cause I know, I know more about the alcohol, you know, food and I didn't realize the hot Wait, What is the hot weather? You mentioned a couple of times with alcohol. Is that, is there just because you're a little more dehydrated and that? Has yeah, it? yeah oh, okay. totally. It just you're dehydrated. And, and I mean, just from personal experience too, that, doing exactly what I just said, right? You, you're like, oh man, this is beautiful weather. Oh boy, that's, I'm half a beer and I feel like I've had four, uh, <laughs> even yeah, though I yeah. haven't. Um, so, it is, it's just a dehydration and how fast it hits your body because your body, um, if it's at all dehydrated, goes, I, I need I need liquid. And so it's going to absorb, it's going to prioritize that absorption uh, and it's going to hit you fast. So it's, it, it, so the, because I've heard this more anecdotally. So it is true that having 
food in your stomach um, and being hydrated, both of those will curb some of the effects of alcohol. Like you won't, it won't hit you. Oh, hundred percent. Okay. Well, that's good to know. And and Um, it really just comes down to simply the, the body's digestion. It has to, it's not just the beer that it's digesting. It's digesting all sorts of stuff. So uh, it just limits how fast you can, uh, it can hit your bloodstream. And I think a huge thing that I've noticed anecdotally is when you're in really good shape, like if you go to the gym for a couple of hours and you just worked out really hard, your metabolism is just raging. You know, I feel like it just processes. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like it feels the same as food. Like if you, you know, you eat four slices of pizza after you've worked out for two hours on leg day, I mean, that's going to burn up pretty quickly rather than, you know, you're out of shape and you throw down some pizza. It's, it just kind of sits in there for a long time, you know? And uh, I, I, I've noticed this, like with, with, if I have a beer or something, when I'm in good shape, it's like, it does, you don't feel anything really. But like, if you're super out of shape, it's like, yeah, I need to take this one slow, you know? Um, yeah. So with THC or, or, or especially inhaling marijuana, like food in your system, dehydration, none of that's really related, right? Because we're dealing now with neuro, neurological responses rather than, is it gastrological or you're not dealing with your digestive system, your metabolism processing it, right? So it's a completely different experience. Yes and no. And that's where it comes back to how are you ingesting the THC? Um, is it going to be through an edible uh, that you that you took and you're on an empty stomach? It's going to mirror the intake of el- alcohol uh, okay. in your system where it's going to be a lot slower if you eat it with a meal. If you eat it on an empty stomach, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit you uh, faster right um but yeah if if you're smoking it it's not going to matter uh what you have in your gut because okay. it's you're ingesting it through your lungs right okay uh, it is i forgot what todd said ah, i totally forgot what he said about this is thc is it addictive like chemically addictive i always grew up hearing while alcohol and obviously some harder drugs and even caffeine can be chemically addictive marijuana is not um, and I forgot what Todd said about that. What 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 do we know about the science behind that? Is it chemically addictive, or is it, or is he maybe that category is even more complex than even a yes or no answer? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. Um, yes, yes, but uh, uh, and and this is where kind of the wisdom side comes in for me is where uh, yeah, THC can be addictive. Um, so so can alcohol. Um, so can caffeine, caffeine yeah. so can food, so can TV, so can sex, right? It's, it's, it's all addictive. It's not, it's not necessarily, you know, things that come from outside of your body that are, that are in. So for me, when I think about these topics and, and what wisdom means in terms of cannabis use and alcohol use, that's a really important conversation for me. Where does kind of a like a good robust theology of pleasure and a good robust theology of addiction and, and those in my mind are very intertwined. What is what does that mean? Um so one of the things Todd said that I that I again generally took issue with um was was he did bring up the verse that hey so, you know have a glass of wine or have some wine because it makes a heart glad, right? Mm-hmm. And and he didn't unpack that. And I went, yeah, yes, yes, let's let's pull those strings because I feel like those those strings and where that goes really should inform our cannabis use. Not not whether it's super addictive, not not whether okay, um yeah. it, does that make sense? Well it's so, it, I I, I I think it would be inconsistent for people to or making a lot of money could be addict. I mean Playing a slot machine. Yeah. There's uh, so many. Anything that gives you any kind of do- dopamine. Having a cell phone, highly addictive. Social media and so on and so on. So I'm hearing you say that's just part of living life. 
with our pleasure centers in our brain is we live in a, a pool of possible addictions. Um, so either we just kind of take them all as seriously as we should, or, or kind of learn how to navigate through wisdom, you know, um, adequate uses of pleasure, um, and, and being careful not to, yeah, not to let things overcome us or enslave us. And, and that's exactly it. Um, Todd said something, why, why are you using it? What are you using it for? And he focused on the medical side, the, mm. the recreational medical side of the cannabis. But I think it does go deeper than that, where if I come home from work, you know, I, I work a stressful job, had a bad day, saw some bad stuff. Uh, am I grabbing that beer because I want to feel pleasure to hide from the crap that I'm feeling? Or am I grabbing that beer because I'm like, man, no, I actually, yes, it was a hard day, but, uh, I feel fulfilled by that. Like it's, yes, there's goods and bad, but I'm grabbing this to just enjoy, uh, enjoy that I'm home. And, and I, in my mind, it's the same thing with THC and there shouldn't really be any difference is, man, am I smoking this joint? Because uh, like a lot of my friends, they go camping. They they won't do it all year long, but they'll go camping and, and it's replaced drinking when they're out. They'll just sit around a campfire and, and, you know, grab an edible. Are they doing that because they're in a social situation where, they can kind of chill and they can relax. They can enjoy the outdoors. They can enjoy good conversation. Um, or are they doing it because they're going camping to escape from life and they need the drugs to to do that? Mm. That's even without the impairment, even if you're not impaired by the, the THC or alcohol or whatever else it is, that to me is uh, the defining line. And why are you using it? No, that's, yeah, that's good. And it is even that, yeah, that's a fine line too. Like, yeah. The unhealthy escape versus versus the other, like versus I had a hard day and I'm going to do something, whether it's I'm going to make a nice meal, I'm going to listen to some great music. <laughs> you know, there's so many things we do that kind of help compensate, you know, um, some of the difficulties in, in life. And I don't think I don't think I don't know too many thoughtful Christians who would say any kind of like seeking of some kind of pleasure. <laughs> from God's creation is, is intrinsically bad. If you feel enjoyment about uh, over something. So I'm, I guess I'm still kind of, I, and I don't know the, what question I'm at, like what percentage of people in your anecdotal experience are, are the kinds of per- people that could experience healthy forms of enjoyment from smoking a joint, ingesting an edible versus kind of this getting sideways. Another thing that I would love to hear your thoughts on that kind of related is for some reason, I feel like I, I keep hearing so so many, maybe not you know, dozens, but enough stories of people ingesting an edible, usually out of good motives, like for it's like a medical use or whatever, and just having a, a horrible, like violent trip. There's one scenario in particular years ago. I mean, it was it was so scary um, what what happened, and um, and, and I've heard that like sometimes they put you know crazy amounts of THC, maybe accidentally or maybe just the, maybe the guy putting the THC in edibles on an edible and <laughs> is making a bad judgment call. I don't know. I don't know. It just seems like there's something with these edibles. that's just like, you're just kind of seems like you're kind of rolling the dice a little bit. So all that to say, yeah. Um, is it like a small percentage or would you say a majority of people that could ingest or inhale, you know, a certain level of THC and, and not end up fully impaired? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. It's, it's hard because I kind of have, with my job and the people that I interact with, a, a little bit of confirmation bias. So I have to like fight back against that. And I'm not 100% sure if I land in the right spot. So I'll kind of give you my 
observations and opinion, but please take that with a grain of salt. So um, as far as people being able to use THC and, and not be impaired, to use it recreationally in the same way as, uh, as casual alcohol use, I don't know what the percentage is because I almost often see it misused at, at work. All right, at, at my job okay. as a police officer. Yeah. Um, but that's because inherently I'm going to get called if somebody's misusing right, right, it right. and yeah. doing stupid stuff, right? But on, so on the flip side, I try to balance that with my personal experience where I know lots of friends who use it once a month or, or you know, use it during the summertime when they're out and about and they want to enjoy the summer and then they don't use it all winter long. Um, and then I also have friends that, you know, maybe use it a little bit more than they should. Same, same as alcohol. So again, this, in, in my mind, it really does mirror alcohol use as wisdom issue and okay. it's hard to point to exact um exact numbers on that it's really it's really almost more of a relational issue it's like hey man yeah you've been using a lot of edibles lately and that's it's starting to concern me and and i can have that conversation with somebody but i don't even know if the science you could have behind that it's like it's like drinking it's like oh man you know my my brother you know and I'm just saying this hypothetically, my, my brother and my friend had, uh, you know, I had some drinks and they started drinking more. At, w- at what point from a third party perspective did it, did it go from being casual use to not? I, I, I don't know. Um, it's hard to say. Does that, does that kind of answer that it, part of your question? It does. Like, like, so we, we spent a lot, my wife's from France. We spent a lot of time in, in France and Europe and, and there's other cultures like, like France where, I mean, people are having a glass of wine or two with the meal Every day, sometimes for lunch and dinner, you know, it's like, it's just, it, it's just not, not, a big deal. not even a big deal. It's just such a part of the culture and it's, and it's such a part of the food and the life and the, you know, so, I mean, it, 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 there's even some cultural things here. Like, would you, is that okay? So having a, two glasses of wine a day, every day for your whole life. I mean, Andrew Huberman would say you're killing your brain, but <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you listened to that? Yeah, I've listened to some of his stuff. He's always overall pretty good, but he's. A little, you know what? It, it actually, um, it's a really good point, and something to bring in is that I feel like because of our our cultural biases, we overemphasize science, and we go, "Oh man, there's a study that shows this is bad and this is bad," and we go, "That's the end of the story." Um, when, when, like you just said, you know, there's whole cultures that that do all sorts of stuff that the science says is terrible for you, and they're actually really healthy people, yeah. uh, and there's no issues with that. So I feel yeah. like. Oh, the hard science studies are important, but anecdotal evidence in my mind is actually just as important. And we need to figure out how to marry some of that stuff together. So specifically on this conversation with cannabis, we do have a culture that's very um, historically, we've got a few generations that's anti-cannabis. It's no, no, that's an entry-level drug. You know, you're going to be doing meth next week if you smoke a joint today. Right. And, and so there's a lot of cultural bias against that. And, and so I feel like that creeps into some of these conversations where we do need to step back and, and think if this wasn't cannabis, this is, this is another chemical that you can take and it doesn't impair what would our, what would our result on that conversation be? Would it be, no, no, this is still really bad. Or would it be, uh, yeah. well, actually, if we're, if we're looking at this from a different perspective, that's outside our culture, what is the issue? Yeah. And that's kind of where I've fallen on that is friend to drink wine or a few times a day and there's no issue so yeah well I, i'm you know as a parallel like what if somebody yeah, was smoking pot recreationally wasn't getting impaired you know they got a joint after lunch sometimes maybe one after dinner six days a week like most of us listen you're like Dude, i'm not down with that Even if, and, and what, what if everything you're saying is correct what, what if i think you're saying is correct and there could be some just 
maybe cultural barriers here that aren't actual. They're they're more just situational. And what is our actual argument for why that is wrong? If in light of what we said about you know the addictive thing is complicated, like everything can be potentially addictive. Um, also the you know what if they're not actually getting impaired, you know, um, what is the argument against it? Just we just ah, just don't like it. Exactly, and, and that's that's kind of where I I came to on this is for me it's you know I might try it someday again. I'm like clearly I'm not against it, but. Um, for me, I have other pleasures. We have stuff as a family. What, like I have a family. It, it's it's never probably going to be a big part of my life because there's other pleasures that I choose with other people that I, I can't really have a joint or I don't, I don't feel like that would benefit my family and relationships, my personality, if I'm going out and, and having an edible on a regular basis. Um, I, it does last longer in your system than, um, than alcohol. And and I, I typically am very, very conservative just because of what I see on yeah. on any type of impairment when driving, right? And that's just a personal choice. It's actually not a scientific thing or whatsoever. It's just a personal thing. I try to pull myself farther back than I actually think is right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. And l- let me give a disclaimer now because I, I get all excited when I just interact with ideas. I I I, I have not smoked marijuana since I was, I think, 19 years old. I have no desire to do it. Probably will never do it. Even if it's like, even if it becomes kind of the new drinking where it's like, yeah, every, every, every elders meeting, you know, toss around a joint, you know, like like you do in some churches where you got craft beer on tap in some of these churches, you know? So I I just, I don't, again, there's, I I don't have, I just don't have any, any desire, interest in it. So I'm not advocating for it, nor am I like trying to make room for me to like, go, you know, buy a bong after this podcast or something. So, um, which I think makes you and I, I guess, good, good people who who can talk uh, talk about this on more of an idea level because I don't think there's any personal motivation here. Um, what about so? What about the health benefits or problems with marijuana use? Like, if, if somebody did, okay. So I guess you know we reference Andrew Huberman, who's a famous like I don't know what he is a neurobiologist or yeah, something, neuro, and and he yeah, had a. Something. He's kind of, and is one of the most popular podcasters out there. Really brilliant guy deals a lot with like just health and fitness and and supplements, like just super thorough. And he had this like two hour long episode of alcohol where the dude pretty much did more for like sobriety in America than like he was saying like, you know, excessive drinking, which he defined like more than one drink a week or something like is actually deteriorating your, I mean, it was both my wife listened to that. We're like, all right, we're not drinking next year, you know? Which we haven't stuck to, but I mean, you know, we're like, oh my gosh, this is <laughs> so all that to say, like, even even what we would consider very, very responsible, moderate use of alcohol, there's I would say maybe there's mixed results on what that does to your body, but at least for Huberman and others, you know, it actually is not super healthy. Um, neither is bacon every morning, and we can go on, you know, with food and stuff, but prolonged, let's just say responsible non-impairing use of thc does that have what do you know about the effects it has on the body and your health yeah that's a that's a great question and it's honestly something that i need to do some more research into what i do know is that while the brain is developing like prior to 25 um it does have significant effects so um you know again depending on your neurochemistry and how it affects you uh it may one joint when you're 14 may have some serious implications um definitely ongoing use is going to have some some implications when you're in your brain development now in the science that i've seen again i haven't done a deep dive into this so take take this with a grain of salt over that the science is really hit and miss 
Okay. And this is where I go back to, um, and I likely won't do a deep dive because my kind of um, outlook on this is, okay, so there's a there's a study that I'm setting off the top of my head. I'd have to look up to get details, but it, it's out there. Anybody can find it. The study of this, it's not a new one of this community down somewhere in the States, kind of a more more closed uh, like ethnic community. And they did everything they're not supposed to. They they drank every day. They smoked. They ate bacon every morning. They ate all these preserves and everything. And and they, this was studied because nobody in that community had like heart disease and like all these serious illnesses. And they're like, but you're doing everything that should cause heart disease. What the crap is going on? And uh, and then uh, eventually there there was some fractures in that community and it split off. And guess what? Tons of people started having heart disease and all of these massive issues. So uh, it's kind of a, to me, that's a good indicator that science that shows something is really good for you or really bad with for you needs to be taken with a grain of salt. And our bodies are insanely complicated. We're, we really are in the dark ages when it comes to how our brains and our bodies interact. Um, we can't, yes, read it, understand it. But should we be looking at this from perspective of does pot help, uh, damage our brains or, or hurt us long term? I, I think the bigger question is, well, why are you using that every day? It, you know, it does that seem wise? Because to me, smoking pot two times a day, three times a day, even if you're each individual instance may be wise, I feel like as a whole, oh, maybe you should check that out because that's not our culture. If I was in, if I was here drinking a couple glasses of wine every day, my wife would probably have a conversation with me. Uh, <laughs> if I went over to France, we would both do it and we wouldn't, we wouldn't think two seconds of it. Right. So why are we doing that? Are we, is this, is this a community, is this a culture that we're a part of? Um, and, and we're not, noticing you know some serious side effects long term or or uh, yeah it, it does come down to a context and a, and a wisdom issue i feel and the science well important should not be the be all and end all does that does that make sense i heard that yeah that study it's ringing a bell well wasn't the point of that study that human connection was like the most health like that actually is the most healthy thing you can do and people that aren't connected if so if they're maybe drinking the same amount as that group and then eating bacon with like doing all the same habits, but if they're isolated, lonely, stressful, disconnected from community, like that had a horrible effect on their body. Whereas their social connections, that's fascinating. That's super fascinating. So, yeah. which, which, which might be why certain cultures that maybe have a higher on average alcohol intake, like France and others and in Germany and other, you know, like that have this rich, social connection that certain alcohol plays a role in maybe, maybe that's why they're health they're living much more healthier lives than we would expect yeah I, exactly and i wonder the same thing and and for pot use then if you're if you're out recreationally smoking a joint or having some edibles and that's your connection time and it's not a hey let's together and party and get gooned because i don't want to remember and i want to do that yeah. with friends um but yeah, they actually are chilling like i've said a few times here maybe they're doing that three or four times a week I don't know if I'd have a problem with that. Again, that's not my jam. I wouldn't do that. Um, but man, that's their the connection. They've got some rhythms there. I, I I would I would say that maybe that's we could learn something from that. I wonder. I don't think going back to Andrew Huberman. Like I I wonder if he, I I don't remember him even taking that into account. Some of the sociological. It was very much all chemical body. Just all those. Just strictly kind of what it does here 
body directly, but I don't think he, those studies were mitigated with some of these other cultural factors. Anyway, I, we don't need to yeah. bring bringing him in. I just, I was, he's an interesting uh, guy. I was bummed out of that episode really. I was like, sheesh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now you also asked a question a little while ago about kind of uh, the extreme, the extreme interactions that you had, you'd maybe had a friend or, or an acquaintance. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Are you noticing that with edibles in particular? Yeah. So um, typically, Again, this is this is more of my observational evidence combined with uh, with my training. So again, there there is some confirmation bias here. So, but it's I feel like I am exposed to a lot of it, so I can speak with some authority on it. Um, typically, those experiences are the equivalent of a blackout drunk. It's an overdose, the THC overdose, okay. um, and and your body just reacts differently. You can react really violently. Um, it is interesting how. There, there is a culture, like Todd was saying in his episode, where we go, oh, no, it just chills the people out and there's no issues. Well, no, when you overdose, all sorts of things can go funny. And that really is up to your brain chemistry okay. and your individual person. Some people just sit there and they lie on the floor and they stare at the ceiling for six hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but other people can get super violent um, mm-hmm. and it's totally unpredictable. Okay. But typically it has to do with two things. It's either an overdose uh, or I guess three things, an overdose, or you have a brain a brain chemistry that interacts with THC even at lower levels in that way, um, or it's poly drug use. So you're you're actually 10 beers in and you smoked a joint and you took a hoot of cocaine. Like it's, and then suddenly you fly off the rails. Um, so in my, in my job, poly drug use is, is typically the primary thing that I see where people will go and will go into a situation and we'll have to arrest somebody for their own safety and for everybody else's because they're going nuts and destroying everything. Mm. And all their friends will say, Oh no, no, no. They just smoked a joint. And I can clearly see from my, drug training i'm like so you're also on meth uh like it's i can see and just nobody nobody else wants to say that because they don't want to admit that everybody was you know used a little bit of meth on the side right but every once in a while you run into somebody and i'm like i actually think legit they're they just are having a really bad trip and they're probably overdosing um down i think it's a little bit different in canada with the thc dosing and edibles because what can happen is you have an edible and then it goes half an hour goes by and you're like, I'm, I'm not feeling anything. I'm going to have another edible and another half hour. And you're like, Oh, I'm starting to feel it, but not much. And you have another edible and suddenly you've had like ridiculous amounts, but it's not going to hit you fully for another hour. And so that's, that happens on a semi-regular basis okay. um, down in the States because a lot of it's unregulated and it's some Joe in his garage that's measuring it out with, you know, stuff he got from this pharmacy um, here in Canada, we have the benefit where you go into you know, the, the pot store, the cannabis store. And you say, I want 1% and it's, it's right there. Oh, there's 2% gummies. Here's, here's the THC that's this much. And it's very regulated. Um, you okay. know that you are getting that much and there's that, that's just what it is. It's no different than alcohol percentages. Um, okay. You know, you're getting it and it's a lot safer as long as you don't take five gummies because you're impatient. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, uh, for, so for medical, this is going back to my conversation with Todd, where to me, the line got a little fuzzy. And I think it was, I think he, you know, saw it too, you know, what determines medical use, mm. you know, okay, I, I, I broke my leg. And instead of taking Vicodin, I'm going to take some prescribed edibles. Okay. Uh, most people either, either they're <laughs> against Vicodin 
and marijuana, or they're being inconsistent, I think, and saying, no, this, yes, this, no, you know. Okay, but we're all pretty much on board with that kind of medical use. What about like curbing anxiety? What, <laughs> what about, you know, like me, me, you know, I've got a very high stressful job slash ministry slash life. Like, you know, I could, I could probably easily go into a doctor and get a prescription if I wanted to for anxiety levels and stress and lack of sleep and, you know, waking up throughout the night. And, you know, um, like I, you know, I, I'm sure I, but like what, what, what constitutes, you have okay yes you have a, a level of anxiety that now it would be medical use versus no you just had a kind of a stressful day and this isn't medical use this is just recreational like to me that line is just so fuzzy like when people say yes medical use no recreational use do you, do you yeah what are your thoughts on that do you see that same fuzziness or yeah that's a really good question there's a lot of debate in that because it, it that opens up this huge can of worms um in kind of drug use and so we i don't know how big the harm reduction model is in the states have you heard of the the harm reduction i model it sounds of addiction? familiar but but even if i haven't so, heard of it doesn't mean it's not big i'm i'm yeah i've got a okay fair enough yeah and, and i don't know i know it's big in canada because it was kind of developed in on vancouver's east hastings in here in um canada again it's more complicated i'll just leave it that um with the idea is is that you've got you've got addicts that aren't necessarily at the spot that understand or can ad admit that, oh man, I, I, I need help even though I've been living on the street for five years, I'm desperately addicted to opioids and I need them eight times a day. Um, you have to be at a certain spot where you go, man, I am really done and I will do anything it takes to get away from this. I still can't, I'm, I'm an addict. I can't actually choose not to use that at this point, but I need to be done at whatever it takes. And you, in order to beat an addiction, you have to have supports, the right supports at a certain time when you make that decision, um, or you tend to just slip into another cycle and then you come back around and you're right at that point. So the harm reduction model is recognizes that basically says, what if we actually quasi support that addiction by keeping them as healthy as they can by providing some subsidized housing, clean needles, um, not the drug itself, but um, although some people actually would go that far. And in, in order to keep them alive and as healthy as we can to the point where they can reach their own decision and in order to find help. And so that harm reduction model has trickled down to mm -hmm. what you're talking about, where um, hey, I'm, I'm just experiencing some anxiety here. And so we'll prescribe, you know, anti-anxiety medications, uh, which have a whole host of side effects and doctors yeah. are starting to recognize, well, actually, uh, pot does a lot of the same things for certain people, not for everybody. Um, and and we can give it to them and reduce anxiety. So in my mind, if we if we do kind of subscribe to that harm reduction model a little bit, which has some pros and cons, if you're experiencing a whole bunch of anxiety from your job, and you go and get some pot, what else are you doing to actually fix the problem right. and, and to actually get healthy? Because if you're using the pot to be able to enable uh, a lifestyle that's not biblical, that doesn't have good rest and Sabbath in it, right. well, you're just creating an addiction because you're never going to be able to function without it. And so um, I actually personally have no problems at all if if people want to go to the, the doctor and and use pot for anxiety with the caveat that they had better be getting like actually sorting out what is the underlying issue of your anxiety, because you can't just keep using pot for 40 years to help with your anxiety. What is the underlying cause and fix that so that you can actually stop using it? You, you almost use it as a crutch. 
right? You just need to get through a certain time. You need to be able to function for a while in order to get healthy. Um, and then with the intention that this is going to be a short-term thing. So in my mind, that would be uh, wise medical use of yeah. drugs. Because, I mean, yeah. So I, again, I don't know much about the different medications and stuff, but from what I've heard, you know, some, if not a lot of the anti-anxiety medication people take or antidepressants or whatever, like versus marijuana. I mean, it seems like of the healthier choice, marijuana and maybe even least addictive. I don't know. Like I, I, I've at least heard that it's, if we're okay with anti-anxiety medication, anti-depressants, which most people would be okay. Again, like you said, as a temporary measure, as a way to, you know, figure out your life or get through a season or something. But if there's deep core issues in your life that need to be changed, which typically that's what's causing, you know, um, the anxiety, then, then we need to address those alongside take, taking temporary measures. But just in looking at the temporary measures, it seems like, again, I'm not, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know, but <laughs> marijuana might be the healthier of some of the options that have are well accepted. Yeah. I, I would agree with that hundred percent. The, like, even from my training, the, what some of those anti-anxiety and anti-depression medications do to your brain, like at a really fundamental level, some of it from the limited science that I've seen, well, not, not limited from the science that I've seen. We don't know how to reverse, even though the brain is really uh, has the ability to fix itself. It's, it's catastrophic what we're doing with a lot of these drugs long-term where I just, I don't see that from cannabis. Again, you know, I, I might, take this back in five years, but I 100% would rather to try, if I had a surgery or something, try a joint than mm. six weeks of uh, like Oxycontin, um, 100%. But that's also, it's not cut and dry because I know people that have used marijuana post, post-op, they were, they were like, I don't, I don't want to use the opioids. This, is, this, is, this stuff's <laughs> awful. And the, and the pot worked really well. They were, they were high for three weeks and until the pain went away and they, which really wasn't any different than taking oxys or, or fentanyl, right? You're, you're high the entire time. So you don't feel the pain. Um, but I've talked to other people that have tried it and they're like, it did not dull my pain whatsoever. It didn't work for me. And that's where the variability comes into effect where, yeah, sure. Try it, but it's not going to work for everybody. It's, it's not like some of the harder designer drugs is it a totally different cat because i mean you deal with people you know on many different types of drugs low level high level illegal legal whatever um what about on the other side kind of like a ritalin or stuff that treats i guess would treat adhd typically something like that um yeah it in in that category of medication is that just a form of speed i mean is it like a low dose of cocaine is it is it part of the same plant and stuff. I've, cause I've heard that, that there's a really high percentage of people that are on some kind of like low doses of speed, largely to treat kind of ADHD type stuff. Is that, this is all new to yeah, me. So that's hundred percent correct. Really? Um, and yeah, and it's not cocaine. It's their amphetamines. amphetamines. So essentially okay. there's slightly different uh, chemical compound. That's, that's very, very similar, but different from methamphetamine. Um, okay. Methamphetamine would be hard. It, it's it, down in the States. In some States, it's actually legal to prescribe methamphetamine uh, clinically for ADHD, because the problem, because we have kind of a, a medicated society, I would say we we just there's a problem. Throw a pill at it. it, it I have I have massive issues with this, and that's a whole other conversation. But but what we've done, um, like neurologically, is is especially as your brain is developing. Um, okay, so you've you've got ADHD. Rather than treat the symptoms, or maybe say, hey, maybe our school systems <laughs> are actually 
some of the issue here, and it's actually not how our brain is functioning. Um, we don't we don't look at it that way, and we go, we need to shove everybody in the same. They need to be similar. This person has ADHD, um, and please don't get, don't hear anybody hear me wrong that I'm saying that I, I'm making some blanket statements yeah, yeah, here yeah. that aren't that have exceptions. Um, but with we're prescribing ADHD medication, and as the kids grow, the brains are adapting, and they go, oh, I actually don't need to create the the chemicals that this is fulfilling the place of anymore and then um when their body is it tries to reach homeostasis because every time we use drugs it's always trying to reach our normal our, our individual normal it actually creates less and less of whatever the amphetamines are filling the gap of which means we have to use more of the amphetamines to actually control the adhd so now we're a generation or two in of just medicating everything and Fritalin doesn't work anymore for, in a lot of cases because we keep upping and upping and upping. So now we're going, well, we have something else. It's, it's methamphetamine. Why don't we give methamphetamine to kids and it'll help with their ADHD. And it's actually becoming quite prevalent um, down in the States. Not here yet, as far as I know. Um, okay. But yeah, it's, it's very dangerous. Is Ritalin one of many different kinds of, is it, or is that kind of the, that's just like the brand of this same chemical that is probably goes under a different, a lot of different labels or yeah that's exactly it's uh it's like the kleenex is a tissue and ritalin right, right, right. is an amphetamine type yeah. thing so there's lots of different brands and and slightly different chemical compounds to be honest that all try to accomplish the same thing if you're on adhd you can focus on all the things your brain wants to focus on and then actually focus on what you want to and again that's kind of i'm not a expert on that one that's i have friends that have adhd and that's how they described it to me can you are there, are, if you're around somebody who's again smoking has has THC in their system is not totally high and, and debilitated. Can you tell, like, are there other certain signs that you can see like, Oh yeah, you, you're totally functional or whatever, but you, I could tell you've had a joint recently. Um, or is there really no signs if they're functional? It's, there's no real signs. Yeah, there is. Um, and it all depends. Obviously the more drug, the more physiological signs, I can see. Um, but it's funny. One of the, one of the big ones for me is pupil size. Okay. Um, so, um, depending on which drug you're on, your pupils can actually, uh, get way bigger than they should be at a certain light level or way smaller than they should okay. be. So if you're on a drug that either depresses you or like an opioid that really slows your brain function down, people are on opioids, um, will be in the middle of the night and they have pinpoint pupils because their body goes, Whoa, Whoa, I need less information here. And I, I can't function. Um, so pinpoint pupils when they're, when they're high all with, uh, with cannabis, it's actually it, typically dilated pupils. Not always. Again, it's a, it's kind of a wild card drug. It's typically dilated. Um, and, and so it's funny, it'll be, it'll be the middle of the day and I'll, I'll talk to somebody. I'll be like, man, they're, they're a little bit off. What's going on here? Oh man, like we're all pinpoint pupils because it's bright sun out and they've got these huge dilated things. Um, but again, it's also like just the little decision-making it's a pauses in, in responses. It's, you shouldn't have to think about that response. Um, and that's starting to get into the impairment levels. Uh, it's very, it is very difficult, even though I can see some indicator at low levels, um, when people use. Well, Ryan, I should probably let you go. Thanks so much for uh, a <laughs> fascinating conversation. I wonder how many emails I'm going to get from this one. <laughs> I feel like I need another disclaimer. I am not advocating the in, in, in 
ingestation nor the um what's the other inhalement or whatever of THC or Ritalin or whatever else uh cocaine well, I don't know how many drugs we covered today so um yeah this is just a a, a way of um yeah engaging in, in an informative informative conversation so we can think better about this important topic so thanks so much for uh, coming on the show and uh sharing your expertise with us thank you This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.